0: Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors and you, our listeners, ask the questions. I'm Eliza Rosenberry. I'm here at my kitchen table in Brooklyn, New York, trying to keep my dog quiet in the background. Um, On this week's episode, we're talking about what Tavi described as a buddy book with a great friendship at the center. And so we decided to talk about buddy books at the beginning. So to me, I feel like there's always a great police procedural or crime thriller with like the fun buddy cop dynamic. So one of my favorites is In the Woods by Tana French, um, which is a great book. I love Tana French. Um, and also the TV show Broadchurch has a really fun dynamic at the center.
1: That's true. I love that show. Um so good. and they do have they have like this sort of like prickly friendship. Yeah. Um exactly. I'm Tavia Kowalchuk coming to you live from my dining room table in Woodside Queens. Um. So my buddy books are News of the World by Paulette Giles, which is, it, they're an unusual duo. It's like an older guy. Uh, his name is Captain Kidd. And then a young girl, Johanna, who's, he's charged with transporting across Texas. And during this journey, they like. Forge this very strong bond. And then the other book is something quite different entirely. It's Lamb by Christopher Moore, which is a satire about the teenage years of Jesus Christ as told by his best friend and the unknown 13th apostle, Biff. <laughs> <laughs> it is so good, this novel. If you need something to make you laugh, oh my God, read that buddy book.
0: That sounds so good. On today's show, three strangers set off on a road trip, each with different motivations. Author Leah Frankie's debut novel, America for Beginners, is a heartfelt story about the bonds of family and cross-cultural friendships. Later in the show, Leah joins us from Philadelphia to answer questions.
1: And now we present to you America for Beginners, Abridged.
0: Paval Sengupta's husband has recently died And with her newfound freedom, she decides to travel to America in search of Rahi, the son her husband disowned when he told his parents he was gay. Her late husband told her that Rahi had died, but she refuses to believe it, so she plans to travel from India to New York City and then on to Los Angeles on a cross-country road trip, determined to find out the fate of her son. During her journey, Paval meets Satya, her Bangladeshi tour guide, a recent immigrant to the United States, And Rebecca, Pavals hired traveling companion, a young American woman trying to make it as an actress in New York City. Across thousands of miles traveled and dozens of meals eaten together, these three characters form a reluctant and surprising bond that will change their lives forever. So Tavia, what did you think of the book?
1: I am such a fan of this book. I love this novel. I think this is the classic example of a poignant novel the characters can't avoid each other because they're traveling together on this cross-country planned tour. And they're forced to learn about themselves by witnessing each other, by witnessing themselves in confrontation with others. And it's just this really poignant novel about connection and self-discovery. I I love this book.
0: I feel the same way. Um, I love that. And we talked about this a lot with Lou Burney's novel, November Road, which is also a road trip novel. But I feel like America for Beginners is a little bit different because Pival is on her own journey and she's trying to get to Los Angeles. But the other two characters, Satya and Rebecca, are hired traveling companions and they are sort of not in a rush to get anywhere. For them, it's not really about getting to Los Angeles, like they're just sort of taking it day by day. And so for them the journey is like feels much more interior. You know, they're it's sort of like a more immediate journey for them, which I thought was really interesting.
1: Yeah. It's like their their road trip on the road is more of a metaphor for the journey that's happening within them.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: One thing that's sort of interesting to sort of tag into that is that Pival never takes any photographs. So she's clearly not traveling to necessarily like remember this trip. Mm. She's traveling for other reasons. And one of my favorite moments in the book was when Rebecca insists that they take a picture in front of the Grand Canyon. It was just, it was such a beautiful moment. And you could tell like it was one of those poignant moments that I was talking about where all the characters were moved by Rebecca's insistence that they take a photo. I love that scene.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I really loved all three of those main characters. And there's there's even a fourth character whose perspective you hear throughout the book, Ronnie. Um, and he's hilarious and provides a lot of comic relief in the book. But I loved the sort of chorus of voices that you sort of go back and forth between the four different characters. And I also really loved that there wasn't any sort of obvious character arc or there was no obvious path that... I, you know, like sometimes you start a book and you're like, I see where this is going and I'm along for the ride and that's fine. But right. but in this case, it felt a little different. I really didn't know what journey each of these characters was on sort of until the end of the book, which I, you know, I really enjoyed their voices and and I also enjoyed being a little surprised.
1: Yeah. Speaking of surprises, I feel like the cities that they went to on the tour were kind of random. You know, if you look at the map line of where they're where they went, it's it doesn't make any sense. And one of the stops they make is to the Corning Museum of Glass. Like if you come to America, like that's one of your top ten sites (laughs) like is so
0: baffling to me. I loved that stop on the tour. That was like I was like, oh, that sounds cool. I want to go there. (laughs) (laughs) It was.
1: Well, I think I've been there when I was a little girl. I think my family took me when we went to Niagara Falls.
0: Oh, how cool. I didn't know that. Did you get any um, souvenirs from the gift shop? We didn't get anything from the gift shop, but I think I have
1: postcards. So cool. Another thing that I loved about this book that you know i really picked up more on the second reading of it was the significance of food and meal times mm. in the book each character is from a different country and so the meal time is a universal moment that sort of pulls them together and it's a chance for them to learn about each other in these really profound ways even though they're just kind of talking about the differences in their cuisine i remember this one scene that you you know, I just remember so clearly is when Rebecca shows up in Pival's room and she shares her takeout Thai food with Peeval and who had never had Thai food before. And she tries to get her to drink a sip of wine, which is like totally outside the customs for Indian women. And it was just, um, it was just a sweet scene, really, really sweet scene.
0: Yeah. I love that you point that out. It's not really something I, this is my first time reading the book and you know, thinking of you saying, like, that's something you picked up on the second reading. I It didn't stand out for me. But as soon as you mentioned it, I was, like, recalling all of the scenes in the book where they go, like, wh- while they're on their tour, they're often going to, like, whatever local Indian restaurant chain, you know, will be, like, closest to what Pival is already most comfortable eating. Um, and so I, like, right. I remember all of their reflections on that food and, like, how it sort of, like, good but like mediocre maybe sometimes and then the times that they try something else like I remember when they're in when they go to the Grand Canyon they try they find like a taco truck right there's a few moments that stand out
1: yes that was great and they they like the really really spicy yeah.
0: <laughs> well
1: speaking of mealtime not quite mealtime but shall we have our virtual toast
0: yes I have my my glass of water
1: <laughs> I have my water glass
0: cheers clink <laughs>
1: Quick reminder, we love hearing from you, especially now that we're working from home. Join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can stay connected with other book lovers and pose your own questions to authors who appear on our show. You can find us at facebook.com groups slash The Book Club Girls. And stay tuned after the show for a short exclusive sample from the America for Beginners audiobook.
0: Today, we're joined by Leah Frankie whose book, America for Beginners, is out now. Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, Leah.
1: We
2: are so glad you're here. Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: So I'm going to jump right in because we love this book and we have a million questions for you. <laughs> so how we are like dying to know, how did you choose and learn about the locations in this novel? Because some of them seem a little random.
2: <laughs> well, I, I can assure you they seem random to me too. Um, <laughs> but they actually come from real tours. When I was just out of graduate school, I um, was dating this guy who became my husband, and he and his parents are from India, and they had traveled to the United States from India for our grad school graduation, to meet his you know, girlfriend. And also, because they hadn't been to the United States before, they decided to do a tour. And this is something that um, is really antithetical to the way I grew up traveling. <laughs> um, but it's something that a lot of their friends had done. And they just heard that this was an essential, uh, the best way to cover America. And so they or rather the United States. And so they signed up for this tour. And it fascinated me, it became the subject of this novel. And I started doing a lot of research on tours. And it's so weird. But these locations are a pretty standard cross-country United States tour. Uh, And then research for the locations, uh, once I realized what was on the tour, some of them I'd been to, some of them I hadn't. My husband accompanied his parents on this tour, so I uh, asked him a lot of questions. I looked up a lot of different tours targeted to Indian and also Chinese tourists, which have some similarities and some big differences. One of the big ones that I think is really weird is the Corning Glass Museum. That is a place that is on a lot of tours of the United States.
1: Yes, we were totally remarking on that stop.
2: Yeah, it's so funny too because Corning the the Glass Museum actually contacted me recently and had me do a blog post for them because they found out about the book and they were like, <laughs> "No one's ever featured us before. This is amazing.
0: Why did you do this?" Um, Leah, you mentioned your husband is Indian and you you live in Mumbai now, right? So how how did that experience of of moving to India inspire the book?
2: I knew that I was going to be moving to India pretty early in my relationship because it was something that was really important to my husband, who I met in graduate school. Uh, He had lived outside of India for almost, uh, I guess at that point, about a decade. And he knew that he wanted to move back and he wanted to be working in Bollywood. So when we got together, when we first started sort of more casually dating, I knew that that was a real priority for him and that if I wanted to continue in this relationship, I had to consider that future. And I uh, was willing to do that, Um, definitely uh, interested in living in another country and um, interested in sort of what that would would sort of open up in my life. And so when I first started writing this novel, I hadn't yet moved to Mumbai, but I knew it was coming. Um, We got married and spent an, an additional year in New York. So that was three years in New York. It was looming on the horizon. I knew the move to Mumbai was coming sort of easing into that, meeting my Indian in-laws, sort of, you know, sort of acclimating myself to the notion that I would be moving to India. It really, uh, it served as both, you know, research for this novel and also like research for my own life. By the time I'd moved, I'd already done a couple drafts that had been the product of his own experience, a ton of research, a ton of questions, a ton of text message conversations with my mother-in-law, uh, reading a lot of books, reading a lot of guidebooks, which were all pretty wrong in many ways. Um, so I'd done a couple drafts of the novel, and then when I moved to Mumbai, it helped solidify those drafts, I think. It helped; it definitely helped solidify the Indian part of the novel. Uh, and visiting Calcutta, which is the city my husband's originally from, and the city where my... Um, where my protagonist Pival comes from. There were things that I had assumed that were correct. There were things that I had assumed or written that were off. And uh, it allowed me to kind of uh, firm it up in a new way and just add a new level of the India part. Because a lot of the novel is about how people respond to the United States. So I think being in the United States, that was, you know, I already felt like I knew that I understood that I could research that but the, the where they were coming from part, I think that really came into being once I moved.
1: You mentioned your character, Paval, and we love her. She's one of our favorite characters that I think we've read since we've been doing this podcast. And one of the things that we were wondering is you know, how does she view America? Does she imagine America? Does she view it through the eyes of her son? And how does that perspective change over the course of the book?
2: When I envisioned Paval and wrote her, I saw this character who had not really thought much about America as, as a real place. It's sort of the, when the book begins, it's this place that sort of has swallowed up her son. It's, uh, it's just, it could be anything. Uh, it's just other, it's just not Calcutta. I think that as as she makes this decision to go there, to find him and to explore it there's incredible trepidation but also hope for her to sort of understand why her son has chosen this place and never returned
1: i love that observation that she makes when she gets gets out of the cab in new york and she's like everyone looks different there's all kinds of people here and she was so stunned by that and that perspective had never occurred to me. And, and that's one of the things I really enjoy about this book is I'm constantly being introduced to fresh perspective. It's truly a chance to see the world through someone else's eyes reading this book.
2: Thank you. That's something that really, I think, that's a that's a line that came from moving to India and um, re- missing that so much about New York, missing that about riding the New York subway, the way that everybody looks different and dresses differently, and the, the incredible just variety of people and presentation that you can see in American cities specifically, and specifically New York. Um, You know, India is really diverse in an inter-Indian way, and Mumbai is a really interesting city, but for an outsider, it feels so much more homogenous, and the intricacies and diversities reveal themselves with time. But when I first moved to India, everybody seemed to be more like each other than I was used to and i uh i think i
0: reacted to that and incorporated that into this novel so satya moves to america with his close childhood friend and they end up sort of separating or going their separate ways after a period of living together as roommates in new york and and when satya takes his friend's job opportunity <laughs> so i was curious what does this friendship and its sort of evolution represent to satya in the book you know, this is a character who's really dislocated,
2: who's dislocated from family, from community. He's a Bangladeshi Hindu. That's a really small population. Uh, He's lost his whole family. He's been raised by his grandmother, and and, uh, she's also gone when the novel begins. And so coming with his friend, it's like the last link to the whole world that he's had before coming to the United States. And by betraying him, he's sort of cut himself off from that. He struggles the most with reinvention because this novel is sort of capturing him in a moment of total reinvention of self. And while I think there's a, there's a tragedy, you know, his betrayal, it, it never, uh, he's never really able to uh, get that back again. I think there is, there is a reality of what you lose when you transform.
1: I so appreciated Satya's um, journey as it was through the book, his more sort of emotional journey. And Rebecca, the, the young woman who's a paid companion of Paval, she also has her own journey. And when, you know, one of the things that throughout the book, she really seems to struggle with self-loathing. What would you say is the turning point for her in the novel where she begins to see another way of living where she doesn't have to be so dissatisfied?
2: Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> you know, Rebecca is a character that I think is uh, very much my entry point to the novel in many ways, or into the world of the novel. I mean, I guess it's all my entry point because I wrote it. But um, she's definitely, you know, the character that's, uh, while not a lot like me, the closest to me, uh, because she's a white Jewish American lady who's sort of traveling with these Indians Um, and Bangladeshi people, and sort of trying to understand the world through them while judging them. And I'm sure that there's a lot of me in that. But she's also uh, a person who's a lot like a lot of the people that I know in my life and living in New York, uh, trying to figure out what we want to do with our lives, coming from a place absolutely of privilege that leaves us sort of discontent and demanding a lot of ourselves, but also forgiving ourselves a lot of things. One of the important beginning moments for her is coming to Philadelphia, which makes sense. I'm from Philadelphia. And seeing uh, seeing a play with Satya, seeing a play with somebody who has no context for that, who she's so stuck in her world and the way she sees the world and her frames of reference. And she's sort of like totally overcome with jealousy at watching somebody else act in a play when she herself wants to be an actress is not is not getting roles. I think that that's a really big moment for her, seeing this with this other person who just just understands this play in some ways almost emotionally far better than like she ever will. It's a really significant moment for me when, when uh, Rebecca encounters her mother in DC and is sort of avoiding her parents, is pretty freaked out. She's kind of hiding from her parents in a sense. And she ends up having to go to dinner with them and having this family dinner uh, with Paval and Satya, who both like lost all family um, and who respond really differently to her family. I think that's a, a breaking open point for Rebecca about seeing your family through somebody else's eyes, seeing your life experience through somebody else's eyes, sort of incredibly literally.
1: One of the details from that scene that stood out to me was how um, Pival and Satya had no idea what to do with the pasta dish that was in front of them. <laughs> and how at, at one point yeah. it's, they describe it as gummy and I was like, what? Yeah. Pasta is amazing. Yeah. It, was, it was so I funny.
2: Well, it's I, that's so from real life, by the way. Like that—that that is the, the part of that. So when I um, when I did first meet my in-laws, when they were doing the, my now-in-laws, when they were doing this tour. They rearranged the tour a bit so that they could go from Niagara to Philadelphia because uh, my parents are in Philadelphia. Uh, they met my parents like very briefly after our graduate school graduation, but we we're like, let's try to get them to meet my parents a second time because uh, they live in India. They'll be far away. How many times can they interact? And so I kind of went to Philadelphia. My husband was like on the road on this trip with my in-laws, um, and I was like, okay, I'll make them dinner, and that way they'll get into Philadelphia at night. They'll come over to my parents' house. They'll have dinner, and then they'll go to their hotel. And they'll head Off to DC the next day. This is a great plan. Of course, you know, it was like Memorial Day weekend. They were horribly delayed from Niagara. My husband's texting me. He's like, I'm not going to make it through this trip. I can't do this. I was like, It's been a day. You're you're on your second day. And I made pasta because I thought, okay, my mother in law is a vegetarian. I'll make a meat sauce and a non meat sauce. And like uh, pasta, you can just throw it in. So whenever they arrive, you can just throw it in. They'll be late. That's great. So I made it and I was like, ready. And then my mother in law was just like pushing it around her plate. And my sister-in-law, who was, like, also with them, was sort of, like, also looking at it, like, very suspiciously. Um, And I was really worried because, you know, I just wanted to feed them. I was so worried. And my mother-in-law, like, very carefully ate all of the sauce and, like, none of the pasta. And um, Rohan later was like, well, she'd never had pasta before. It never would have occurred to me that she'd never had pasta before. Like, it never in my life would have occurred to me. It was very funny, and her reaction to it really informed that scene. (laughs) It's a little reality in the in the
0: book. Coming up on the Book Club Girl Podcast, Leah answers more questions, and later in the show, we ask about her literary white whale. Stick around.
1: This episode of the Book Club Girl Podcast is brought to you by Simon the Fiddler by Paulette Giles. Simon the Fiddler is a historical novel set in Texas at the end of the American Civil War. It's available now wherever books are sold.
0: Welcome back to the show. This episode, we're speaking with Leah Frankie, author of America for Beginners. We have another question.
1: The characters in this novel go through, as we've mentioned before, periods of self-discovery in different cities across America. If you could match up one city on the tour to each character, which city would they be and why?
2: I think that even though she'd hate it, I think Rebecca is very Philadelphia because I'm very <laughs> Philadelphia and because I actually think it's the perfect city for her to live in and maybe someday in the in the imaginary future of this character, she'll realize that. Um, although, um, although she doesn't end the novel there. Uh, I think Satya is very much New York. I think he belongs in New York. I think it's the city that will challenge him the most and help him grow the most. And it's like he found the right place to be. Um, And I I really hope he becomes a better tour guide. I think New York will help him do that. And I think it's the place that will sort of allow him to start to build a new community for himself. Um, I think that for Paval, it's New Orleans. I think that she, as a character, really responds to New Orleans very strongly. It's an incredible city. It would be warm enough for her. Um Calcutta is a very warm and sort of like wet tropical city, um, uh, although it has sort of a cooler winter. And I just I think Paval, it's like her, that's her that's her spiritual city. You know, that's a city that would just give her that. And, and Bengalis love food. Food is so integral to the to the sense of being a Bengali. Um, vegetarianism might be a little hard for her there, but I genuinely think that that's like a city that is sort of close to her heart. And then I actually think Ronnie's very L.A. So he should probably end up out there.
1: That's funny. Ronnie, definitely, now that you say it, totally L.A. Oh, my God. With yeah, his gold chains.
2: LA. <laughs> well, he's a, he's a born sort of schmata talker. Yeah. You know, he's, a bo- he's a born liar. And I just think that that's, you know, he'd be so good in L.A. <laughs> I think it would work. So no offense to L.A.
1: Now that we've sort of like gone through the characters, we're like going through the cities. Dion from our Facebook group wants to know, and we do too, would you ever go on a tour like this?
2: Oh, God. Honestly, having having researched them, I have to say no. <laughs> I would maybe do a road trip. I've never done a cross-American road trip. I actually love the idea of that. Uh, my mother-in-law really wants to do that. So she and I might end up on the road. There's a new novel, <laughs> My Mother-in-Law and I, On the Road in America. Um, maybe that's a reality television show.
0: <laughs> the next question is um, a fun one, which is that Tavia and I both loved this book so much and we want to read more from you. So can you tell us about your next book? Absolutely. Uh, so my next novel is
2: coming out July 14th. Uh, it's called Motherland. Uh, it's about a woman who moves to Mumbai with her husband and, um, She's a bit lost. She's trying to restart her sense of self, her sense of life. She sees this as an opportunity to do so. Uh, Her plan is complicated when her own mother-in-law decides to leave her father-in-law and comes and moves in with her in Mumbai. So all of a sudden, she, a non-Indian American woman, is having a very traditional Indian experience of living with your mother-in-law.
0: I can't wait to read it. It It sounds sounds so good. good.
1: I can't wait. July 14th, cannot get here fast enough.
0: Aw, thank you. Okay. So now every episode, Leah, we ask our guest, what is their literary white whale, which is a book that you've always meant to read or started reading and never finished. Um, So what for you is your literary white whale? Oh, man.
2: Well, it's definitely Lolita because I don't know why, but at some point in my life, I just started lying and telling people I had read it. Like that was like a symbol of like literary accomplishment i don't even know why but there was a point maybe a lot of people around me had read it and i just found myself like automatically lying and be like oh yeah yeah i've read lolita and i haven't and i now don't know if i ever can because i've i've lied about this so much i guess i've outed myself now um but i've lied about it so much that if people see me they're gonna be like what are you doing
0: That's a good one. Nobody said that before.
2: <laughs> I don't even know if I really want to read it anymore, but it's like a mono. It's a thing in my life. It's like, it's so big in my life.
1: Well, Leah, thank you so much for joining us. It was such a treat to have you on the show. We just were completely delighted and engaged with your book. And this conversation made the book even better. So thank you so
2: much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an incredible pleasure. And I was really looking forward to this. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Leah.
1: That was Leah Frankie, whose book, America for Beginners, is out now. To find out more about Leah's book and how to buy it, head to bookclubgirl.com slash podcast, where you can also find links to everything mentioned in this episode. Like what you heard? Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, give us a rating and leave a review.
0: Another way to help spread the word about the Book Club Girl podcast, tell a friend. It really helps others to find us.
1: You'll hear from us again in two weeks, where we'll be speaking with Kathy Wang, author of the novel Family Trust. But you can always stay in touch with us between episodes. We're both on Instagram. Find us at Tavia Reads and at Eliza is Reading, and of course, at Book Club Girl.
0: You can join in on our conversations, too. In a few weeks, we'll be in the studio with number one New York Times bestselling author of Orphan Train, Christina Baker-Klein. If you have questions for Christina about Orphan Train, post them in the comments on our Book Club Girls Facebook group, or you can call us at 212-207-7336. You can also send us an email, bookclubgirl.com. We love to hear from you, and if your question gets asked on the show, we'll send you a free book.
1: Before we go, a big thank you to Jordan Peré who produced today's episode, to Maureen Cole, who introduced us to Leah, And of course, to Leah herself for setting up a mini recording studio in Philadelphia to speak with us.
0: Until next time, I'm Eliza.
1: And I'm Tavia.
0: Happy reading.
3: Rebecca nodded. Have you ever had Thai food? It's an excellent choice for vegetarians. It also had a variety of curries and rice dishes, thought Rebecca which might ease Mrs. Sengupta into non-Indian options slowly and comfortably. Mrs. Sengupta wiggled her head from side to side, confusing Rebecca. She had seen, in the last three days, each of the other members of the group employ this head-wiggling motion, but she couldn't tell what it meant. As far as she had understood, it could mean anything or nothing. I have eaten Thai food twice. There is one excellent place in Kolkata, and I finished my shopping early on two occasions and indulged in lunch alone. It was very nice. I would like to join you, if you do not mind. Please order for me. I enjoy many things. No meat or fish or eggs, please. Rebecca had turned away to order when she heard the widow clearing her throat. She turned back. Mrs. Sengupta seemed almost shy, but the widow opened her mouth again to speak with determination. Would you eat with me, please? I have had Thai food only alone. It would be a nice change to share it with you. Thirty minutes later, sitting on a chair in Mrs. Sengupta's suite, Rebecca opened up a steaming plastic container of red curry with tofu and offered it to Mrs. Sengupta, who sniffed the fragrant steam with delight. Rebecca also opened a small packet of vegetable spring rolls and set them on a paper plate along with their sweet, sticky sauce. And finally, she unveiled her own entree, a heaping mound of vegetarian pad thai. Mrs. Sengupta seemed about to protest, as Rebecca offered her this, too. So Rebecca quickly explained. I thought we could share. This way you can try more dishes if you like. I requested that everything was meat and egg free, and- oh, Rebecca broke off, standing quickly and making for the door. Where are you going? I have something else to add. Rebecca left the room and returned a few minutes later with a bottle of wine in her hands. Here, it's white, so it goes perfectly with Thai food. I know I should switch to red with the fall, but I'm not quite ready to make that transition yet. I'll grab the glasses from the bathroom. Did you try it yet? I hope it's good. Rebecca spoke nonstop as she collected two glasses, unscrewed the bottle, internally congratulating herself on picking a screw top, and poured a healthy measure for both herself and Mrs. Sengupta before opening a small white rice box. Mrs. Sengupta looked at the glass as if it were a snake that might bite her. I have never had alcohol before. Oh, I'm sorry. I had thought that was Muslims. I didn't know that. What was Muslims? Uh, Muslims have a religious law against drinking, don't they? Mrs. Sengupta nodded. I didn't know that Hindus did too. We don't. Not formally. My husband drank. It's only that women aren't supposed to drink. There are women who drink, but it's, it's bad. Really? Yes, very bad those women are. Rebecca smiled. That must make me a terrible woman then. She raised her glass and tipped it at Mrs. Sengupta and took a swallow of her wine. Have you, have you drunk with others? Rebecca could have sworn that the woman looked eager. I don't understand. That is, do you drink with, with men? Sometimes, if they pay, Rebecca joked. Of course, things are so different here. Rebecca noticed that Mrs. Sengupta was not smiling as she said this. Does that apply to everyone in India? Rebecca asked. I don't know. Everyone I know, at least. But I don't know so many people. I'm sorry. You don't have to drink it, of course. I'm happy to have yours. Mrs. Sengupta looked at her glass and wiggled her head slowly. I hope you don't think less of me because I'm having wine. I was just kidding before. I'm not bad. At least, I don't think so. Mrs. Sengupta wiggled her head again. Rebecca sighed internally and twirled noodles around her fork. She wasn't sure what to make of this conversation. Perhaps Mrs. Sengupta did think less of her now. Who could tell with that gesture? And really, did it even matter? Would she be less fit as a companion now in Mrs. Sengupta's eyes? Rebecca had no sense of alcohol as a moral issue, She had never been one for addiction of any kind, except, apparently, to failure. This is very nice. Rebecca looked up to see Mrs. Sengupta enjoying the tofu with a small forkful of white rice. Rebecca smiled. I'm glad you like it. It makes a nice change, doesn't it? All of this is a change. It is very nice to change sometimes. Mrs. Sengupta wrinkled her brow in determination and lifted her glass. Rebecca watched amazed as the widow took a small sip of her wine. Her face stayed wrinkled, and she handed the glass to Rebecca. "This is not for me. Still, I thank you. A nice change." Rebecca smiled and added the portion of wine to her own glass. You are not a terrible woman, Mrs. Sengupta told her seriously, and took a bite of the curried tofu, her eyes closing in delight. Thank you, Rebecca said, equally seriously. As she watched, the widow savored each bite like it was the finest meal she had ever had. Perhaps it was.